We begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, on this wonderful Sunday morning. Uh, As I mentioned at the beginning of the service, we're kind of in our ongoing series entitled, Let's Go. And so we're picking up different aspects of that. What What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to live out your life as a Christian in the world around us? And what does it mean to actually share Christ with other people. And so we've kind of come down this long journey and, and, and we've talked how important it is for us uh, to be curious, to love people, and to simply listen. Uh, listen to the pain, the suffering, the brokenness of the world around us. And that's not too difficult because we know that the pain and suffering and brokenness of the world around us is also in us, right? And so that's the journey we've kind of been on. Today we're going to talk about actually speaking, about actually sharing Christ with those who intimately feel that brokenness um, and the struggle of just existing in this world. Does anybody know what happened on June 6th, 1944? Yeah, that's D-Day. Yeah, June 6th, 1944, was D-Day, right? Um, um, Hundreds of thousands of troops crossing the English Channel to try to establish a foothold uh, to push back the Nazi advance and to regain a foothold in Europe. So about a week from now, we'll be celebrating the anniversary of that D-Day invasion. And if you're history buffs at all, you know how, how... how pivotal that moment was, not just, just in that moment, but, but in that war and ultimately in our world, right? June 6, 1944, D-Day. Uh, General Eisenhower was in charge of all of the, uh, the Allied troops at that time. And so he was the, the, the one that was chief, chiefly responsible for, for making that order and saying, this is what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do, when we're going to do it. And he made that order knowing full well the cost, the human cost that would be involved. I don't know if we can imagine the weight that would have been on his shoulders making that call. This is Memorial Day weekend. Tomorrow we get to remember those who have sacrificed, who have given their lives in the fight for freedom, uh, have given their lives for our country and have given their lives so that we can do what we are doing right here, right now. Freely preaching the gospel, right, and talking about Jesus. So this weekend, we're going to remember those that have given their lives. But Eisenhower was on the front end of that a little bit, right? Certainly he knew the cost of war, but giving that order on D-Day on June 6, 1944, he knew it would have incredible cost, and he knew how pivotal that moment was. And so he gave a speech to his troops, right? A speech to, to encourage them, uh, uh, to send them out, to literally send them across the English Channel, and many of them would be sent to their death. I'm going to let you listen to that speech. This is from General Eisenhower. So. Soldiers, sailors, and airmen of the Allied Expeditionary Force. You are about to embark upon the great crusade 
toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. In company with our brave allies and brothers in arms on other fronts, you will bring about the destruction of the German war machine, the elimination of Nazi tyranny over the oppressed peoples of Europe, and security for ourselves in a free world. Your task will not be an easy one. Your enemy is well-trained, well-equipped, and battle-hardened. He will fight savages. But this is the year 1944. Much has happened since the Nazi triumphs of 1940-41. The United Nations have inflicted upon the Germans great defeat in open battle, man to man. Our air offensive has seriously reduced their strength in the air and their capacity to wage war on the ground. Our home front have given us an overwhelming superiority in weapons and munitions of war and placed at our disposal great reserves of trained fighting men. The tide has turned. The free men of the world are marching together to victory. I have full confidence in your courage, devotion to duty, and skill in battle. We will accept nothing less than full victory. Good luck, and let us all beseech the blessing of Almighty God upon this great and noble undertaking. What do you think, hearing that speech on the precipice of crossing the English Channel? Would it have been enough for you? I don't know, right? It's hard to know, right? Uh, young men and women that were going to do their duty, right, that would, would, would be sailing into the jaws of death. But I think it's, it's um, absolutely true that Eisenhower's speech to them was hopeful and was strong, right? It ended with these words. It says, I have full confidence in your courage, devotion to duty, and skill in battle. We will accept nothing less than full victory. Good luck, and let us all beseech the blessing of Almighty God upon this great and noble undertaking, right? Nothing less than victory. This was Eisenhower's speech that he delivered. Uh, to those men that were going across. Uh, it went out in letter form. Um, we heard the audio of that as well. But did you know that there was a speech that he also wrote that was not delivered on that D-Day? Right? Because we know as, as triumphant as this speech is, nothing was guaranteed. And Eisenhower knew that as well. Think about the weight upon his shoulders of making that choice. He knew that there was a possibility that this did not go towards victory, but it went in a different direction. And so Eisenhower wrote a second speech. It's hard to see it there, but these are his own handwritings. I picked out a few. Uh, um, I, picked, I wrote, actually, that, a copy of that so we can kind of see it. This is the speech that was not delivered to his troops. Eisenhower says, our landings in the Sherberg Haver area, I'm not French, it's as good as I can get, have failed to gain a satisfactory foothold, and I have withdrawn the troops. My decision to attack at this time and place was based upon the best information available. The troops, the air, and the navy did all that bravery and devotion to duty could do. If any blame or fault attaches to the attempt, it is mine alone. There were a couple handwritten parts of that speech that he didn't deliver. 
There was one portion that was crossed out. The original copy said this particular invasion, right, at this time and place. He crossed that out and he wrote in instead, my decision to attack, right? And he finished that letter and he underlined the very last verse. It is mine alone. To say that Eisenhower didn't understand the gravity of the situation, I think, he did. And so he delivered a speech of victory to his troops. But the possibility of defeat was there. And he actually wrote this speech. And he folded it up and he put it in his wallet. Carried it with him the rest of his life. Right? But it gives us a pretty good view of the things we say, right? And sometimes even the things we don't say. The, 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 the weight that at times is upon our shoulders. Eisenhower's victory speech is inspiring and it led them out, but it was no sure thing, right? As evidenced by the fact that he wrote a defeat speech and he tucked it into his wallet. But I think there's, some, there's a couple things that we can learn from Eisenhower's speech that actually I want to take with us into our text here today. There's a few things that you notice about both of those speeches. One was a victory one, one was in defeat. But they're going to kind of form the three things that I want us to look at as we consider not a speech, but our, our sharing when we open our mouths about who Christ is. I think Eisenhower can help us a little bit. Talk about how personal it is, the transparency in those speeches, both the victory and the defeat one. But ultimately, it was hopeful. For us, as we share Christ, we pray that our message contains the very same thing. So let's dig into our word here today. You're welcome to follow along with me if you'd like, uh, either in your bulletin or we'll have the, uh, the text on the screen behind me here as well. This is basically going to kind of form our pattern for as we go through this sermon. So we'll talk about uh, how to make our sharing of Christ personal, transparent, and hopeful So as we, as we evangelize. So... Let's jump in. We're going to look at verse 35. It says this, Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Now, um, I'm kind of pulling out the very center of our text for today uh, because this, I think, is what all the rest of that text revolves around. Verse 35 specifically says, And told him. So Philip goes to the Ethiopian eunuch to share Christ. And what did Philip actually have to do? He had to actually speak, didn't he? That's exactly what he did. He came to the eunuch and he actually spoke, right? Uh, this is the NIV translation of it. And I actually, I don't like it quite as much. Uh, I just feel it's a little bit weak. I like this ESV version of it. Then Philip literally opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. So when we talk about our sharing of our faith, it has to be personal and we have to be willing to actually open our mouth, right? We have to actually be willing to talk and to speak and to share the hope that we have in Christ. That's exactly what Philip 
did here. And it says that he told him the good news about Jesus. Now, it would have been wonderful to be, wouldn't any of us like to be sitting there, like listening in exactly what Philip was talking with the Ethiopian eunuch through, like um, 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 what he pulled out of scripture and he was reading from the book of Isaiah and, and all of those things. But this is what our text points out. The most important thing that Philip shared, and surely there was lots, was the good news about Jesus. That good news is that Greek, Greek word oiangelion, which means to evangelize, right? which is the theme of our sermon this morning. So it means nothing more, nothing less than to share the good news about Jesus. And that's why it's got to be personal. And this might be a strange statement for a pastor to say, but if Christ isn't personal to you, you have no hope of sharing him with someone else. In fact, I'd probably step back and say, why would you? Why would you? <laughs> right? But that's where we begin. If we want to share Christ, if we want to share the hope that we have, Christ himself has to have changed us <laughs> first. Right? It has to be intimately personal. It was to Philip as he shared that good news, but it has to be to us as well. And here's the kind of amazing thing from our text this morning. Um, when I use that word personal, uh, it might, might kind of lead us to look back at ourselves. I, I fear maybe almost a little bit too much, uh, as if our knowledge of Christ is on our shoulders. But when you read through this passage from Acts, who's in charge of this entire thing all the way through from beginning to end? Yeah. Yeah, it's God. And specifically the work of the Holy Spirit. Why in the world would Philip go from Samaria to Gaza for a single person? That is not good use of his mileage rates. Right? That is just not good stewardship of time. Just isn't, right? Why would he do that? The Spirit told him. The Spirit led him there. Philip gets there and lo and behold, the Ethiopian eunuch is reading from the scroll of Isaiah and says, I don't know what this is. There's something missing here. I need help. Philip shares Christ with them, the good news about Jesus, right? Spirit-led. What was the result going to be? I don't know that Philip had any, any hope of, of a certain result. In fact, from an earthly standpoint, why would Philip have done that? Why would he have traveled all the way to Gaza? And then when he gets to Gaza, why would he take the time to share the good news about Christ with an African who was wealthy, um, was in a chariot, and for any earthly purposes, probably didn't look like the, the perfect prospect for Philip. It was spirit-led the whole way through. This whole story is spirit-led. These things don't happen without God and the Holy Spirit working. Now, we get this story recorded for us in the book of Acts. But your story is no less amazing. And I don't know when it happened or how. Maybe as an infant, as a child in the waters of baptism. Maybe as an adult, as a family member or friend shared Christ with you. Uh, maybe it was at your darkest and lowest point when a Philip came to you and said, there's hope and there's good news. And it's not just a philosophy or a self-help book or, or a pattern of living, but it's a person. 
And his name is Jesus Christ, and he laid down his life on the cross for you. And so we get this story in the book of Acts, and it's absolutely spirit-led from beginning to end, but, so it, so, but it also was for all of you. And so when I say that this is personal, what I mean is, is that the Holy Spirit has worked faith in your hearts. To hold on to Christ, to understand what Christ has done for you, it is absolutely personal. If we ever want hope of sharing hope with someone else, we've got to know it, right? And we talk about faith and we talk about trust. It's not just the academic points, bullet points on a piece of paper. The facts about who Jesus is, what he did. But it's a step beyond that, isn't it? Faith and trust is actually putting our lives in the hands of Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Some of you have heard me use this illustration before. It's not just knowing what a chair does, but actually sitting in it and letting it take our weight. That's what faith and trust in Christ does. And that is the, the, the source and the motivation for us sharing our hope. So it had to be personal. It was for Philip, and it would soon be for the Ethiopian eunuch. And it's absolutely spirit-led. Let's continue on. It's also got to be transparent. Verse 27. So he started out on his way and met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in the charge of the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. Now, when we talk about transparency, um, we're going to talk about transparency in the sense that, let me put it this way, you, you know what it feels like if somebody is being honest with you and being transparent with you, right? And there's all kinds of things that come out of that. So in your relationships, you understand when someone is being transparent and, and it, it builds trust and it, it's a place or a person that you feel safe to be around that you feel that you can also be transparent with and be honest with. Uh, when that is present, amazing things can happen, right? Real relationships can grow. And here's the important part for us as believers. Real uh, faith and communication can actually happen. And so in our text, there are three people that are incredibly transparent and honest with what was happening on that road in Gaza and in that chariot. We've got the Ethiopian eunuch, we've got Philip, but lastly, the transparency and honesty of God's word, the scripture. The first one is the eunuch, right? There's lots of reasons why he should have wanted nothing to do with Philip, right, or what was going on. But step back just a little bit to understand the historical surrounding of this guy. Here's what we know. He took about a 200-mile trip to Jerusalem to worship, Okay. So this was not safe, this was not easy, right? But 200 miles he went to Jerusalem in order to worship God. He was not a Jew, right? Ethnically, he was African. So in, in some sense, at least ethnically at that time, he was on the outside looking in. But if you were going to make a trip of 200 miles to Jerusalem in order to worship, it is a safe assumption that he was what we would call a proselyte to the faith. So he was a Gentile who had come to faith in God above. 
so much so that he was willing to make that trip to Jerusalem in order to, to worship God above, right? Alongside the Jews at the temple. So we know that he's done that. He's a, a convert, right? He's willing to undergo a dangerous journey. He's also riding in a chariot. Not everyone owned a chariot back then, right? So he had money. He had wealth. Presumably, he probably had an entourage that actually went with him. Um, so he, he, had, he had earthly goods that would not have necessitated him having to make that journey, and yet he did anyway. So he's wealthy. We know that he was the treasurer for, uh, for the queen of Ethiopia. That's basically, he was the CFO of an entire nation, okay? So he had power, right? I would, I would probably argue almost anything that he wanted, he could get. He had all kinds of power. He had people that would jump when he said jump, right? All those kind of things he had at his fingertips. And yet, he makes his trip to Jerusalem. While he's there, guess what he picks up from the gift shop? The scroll of Isaiah. Do you think that they had the scroll of Isaiah in the gift shop at the temple at that time? They did not, <laughs> right? They did not, right? Most people didn't read. This Ethiopian eunuch, he read. He was educated. He knew the ways of the world. He had been around in the world. He knew exactly how the world generally operated. He goes to Jerusalem and he's got enough finances and pull that he actually owns at least a portion of the scroll of Isaiah. And he brings it back with him and he is studying it in route back to Ethiopia. Okay. Transparent. Something was missing. Because why in the world would this man do that? Any of those things. You could pick out just one of those things and you say there's no way that does not happen. But you add all of these things together and you say, what in the world? Why would he do that? I think the short answer is something was missing. Augustine famously says that, that each of us have a God-shaped hole in our heart. The Ethiopian eunuch had something missing. He had everything that the world could offer. In fact, in some ways, maybe he was very similar to King Solomon in that regard. And yet, there was an emptiness and there were answers that he did not have. And so he was transparent about it. Philip comes up to him and he just honestly says, something's missing here. I don't understand it. There's a God-shaped hole in some sense in this text and in my life and I need someone's help to fill it in. Right? And so the Ethiopian eunuch, in this case, was remarkably transparent with his relationship and with where he was at spiritually with Philip. But so was Philip, right? Go on in our text, verse 30. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. You think Philip would have had some trepidation in going up to that chariot? I bet you he would have. Do you think Philip would have had reasons why it was somebody else's job to share Jesus with this man? Probably absolutely, right? 
Probably would have been a host of, 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 of earthly reasons why Philip ought not put himself out there in a transparent way, in a vulnerable way, to come to this man. And what's kind of fascinating is he doesn't just uh, wave down the chariot and start telling him about Jesus right off the bat, which is a good pattern for us as we share Christ. What does he do? He just asks him a question, right? He just asks him a question. The eunuch was, was willing to step forward. And that's ultimately what gave the trust and the opportunity for Philip to share Christ. So a transparency from the eunuch, a transparency from Philip. But one last one, verse 34. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about? So he's talking about prophet Isaiah. Is he talking about himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And so the last part of this, there's transparency in the word and in God's Bible and in Scripture. And as you open the pages of Scripture, and as you read them personally, nothing is sugar-coated, right? The Bible is, is remarkably transparent and vulnerable and honest about all the joy and the hope and all those things, but also about the pain and the suffering and the brokenness of our world in which Jesus came to live in. And that is not a flaw in Scripture. And it's not accident either. God pours out on the pages of Scripture the complete nuance of the human experience. Good, bad, and ugly. But at the heart of all of it is Jesus Christ. He is that puzzle piece that, that lashes all of that together and around which all of Scripture revolves. Christ, true man and true God, who looked down at our messed up brokenness and said, for them, I'll go. Right? For you, I will be born, live, die, and rise again. And so rather than being frightened of our brokenness or disgusted by it, God does not kick us to the curb. But in Christ, he embraces us. Right? He brings us in, and we are forgiven, and we are loved, and something really amazing happens. We are made more than what we were. Christianity has a word for that. We call it conversion. It literally means you're walking in one direction, and you decide to change and go the other direction. It's exactly what happened with the Ethiopian eunuch when he came and encountered Christ. Right? It doesn't, we don't cease being who we are, but we see life and we are so much more. And so there is a transparency to the eunuch, Philip, and Scripture. Now, we read this account, and it's amazing, right? And I think we step back and we're like, wow, right? That is absolutely amazing. But do you know that there's only three ingredients that are necessary for proper evangelism to happen? And they're all three in this text. And I'll give you a hint. One of those ingredients is not a chariot. 
okay? You need an unbeliever, someone that does not know Christ and the missing piece. You need a believer, (laughs) someone that knows Christ and can share that and is humble and honest enough to be willing to do that. And you need God's word present. Does that sound kind of simple? It should because it is. But don't let its simplicity uh, um, fool you into thinking that it's not powerful. Because it absolutely is. A eunuch from Ethiopia who came to faith in Christ to a congregation full of people in Firestone, Colorado. Evangelism may sound very simple, but billions of people around the world could argue it isn't. But absolutely is spirit-led. And that leads us to our last point. When we share Christ, it's hopeful, right? Verse 35 once again. Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Right? And it is good news, right? Because it's not our news and it's not based on our lives, but it's based squarely on Christ. And it's a message of victory. May 8th, 1945, VE Day, Victory in Europe Day. This is an excerpt from a speech from Eisenhower once again. You remember the back and forth of D-Day and which way that was going to go. He had no idea which way. He had hopes. He had dreams. But this is what it resulted in. Men and women of the Allied Expeditionary Force, on the road to victory, you have endured every discomfort and privation and have surmounted every obstacle, ingenuity, and desperation could throw in your path. You did not pause until our front was firmly joined up with the great Red Army coming across from the Easy and other Allied forces coming from the South. Full victory in Europe has been attained. That must have been a fun speech for him to share. And yet we also know the great cost that came about with it, right? Remember that D-Day speech? In large part, he delivered a speech of victory and he tucked the defeat speech in his wallet. In a lot of ways, our message as Christians is the opposite. In an earthly sense, it looked as though on the surface, all hope was lost. As Christ was put to death outside the city walls in Jerusalem, this absolutely looked like defeat. To the religious establishment and the Romans that were there, this was the end. The end of a movement, the end of Christ, the end of forgiveness. But, three days later, victory was shown. In fact, the Apostle Paul reflects on that just a little bit. This is uh, um, for, from 1 Corinthians. He says, For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And he concludes 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We call that the great resurrection chapter with these words to those believers in Corinthians, in Corinth rather, and to you and I here this morning. Verse 58, he says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. 
Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that, the labor, that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. What looked like an earthly defeat ultimately is victory. And that's the message we get to share. We will fight battles. We will, we will at times, uh, maybe minute by minute, try to move through the pain and the sorrow and the brokenness of this world, but never let it be in doubt that the war is final and the victory is complete on account of Jesus Christ. And so when you share Christ with your world, with our world, which at times looks as though it is going from a, a, a shade of dark to even darker, we have every reason in the world to not only stand firm, but to be hopeful and to point to Christ. And that's not just for this life, but it's for all and eternal life. May the Lord bless us and the Lord bless you as you share his word, as you bring the missing piece to lives that are desperately in need of him and are searching. May the Lord bless our words and your words as you actually open your mouths and share Christ. Amen.